Next one. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, Pastor Tony is right. He's, I think he's right quite often, actually, but um, buckle, buckle in because, you know, this is, we're going we're gonna to take you through a Ukrainian church service that will last anywhere from two to three hours, and maybe by two o'clock we should be done. <laughs> Please pray about this, okay? So thank you, Pastor Tony, for preparing the fellowship for us. Um, first off, I'd like to uh, just, uh, just uh, um, open in a prayer and introduce my wife and children. They have a little special gift for all of you. And so uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, how you love us, how you care for us, how you have done everything for us, how you've invited us to walk alongside you on smooth roads and on sometimes very difficult ones. But you are God and you love us and you are faithful. We thank you for this. We praise you for this, for you are the King of Kings and you are right. You are righteousness. I pray that... This time that we'll be sharing together in fellowship, dear Lord, that, um, that I can be blessed with the privilege, my family, to bring a blessing to everyone here, dear Lord. Help me to be so attentive to your leading the Holy Spirit, dear Lord, for what I have to share is really, it's really not that important, but what you have is, is what is best and what is good. And this is what I pray for today, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to introduce my, uh, my wife and kids, so Elaine, please stop coloring and come up. <laughs> so we really enjoyed our time visiting the different classes uh, today, that was really, really great, and and it's, uh, yeah, it's such a privilege and honor to be with you and to be in the classes and to just share a little bit about what, what the Lord is doing in our lives and sort of what's happening in Ukraine a little bit in ministry. So I'd like to introduce uh, uh, my family. Uh, so who should we start with? Um, are you ready to say who you are this time? Okay. Because we had trouble with this earlier today. Um, so what is, and your name is? Ella. Ella. And your name? Mikey. Mikey. And I always say, everyone needs a Mikey. Remember that old commercial, give it to Mikey? It's true. And Alex. And, Alex. and that's my wife, Irina. And so, um, so the kids, he did the mom. And so they're going to sing a song in Ukrainian for you. And, and I think that you will recognize it. And so, um, okay.
Yes. Thanks. Elaine, do you want to stay here with me? No, okay. That's, that, that's a no in Ukrainian. I think it's a universal language. So. And there was that special word that we shared with people in class today, yellow blue bus. And, uh, and so anytime you see a, uh, a school bus, a yellow bus going by, you want to uh, you know, know a Ukrainian word, uh, it's, hey, yellow blue bus. It means, which means, I love you. And that's the song that Kirichka and the kids were singing is about just love of the Lord uh, Jesus and his love for us. So, uh, so to get started on my two and a half hour sermon, maybe three, uh, if anyone needs a bathroom break or water, you better get it now because the doors will be barred and uh, you will need to listen to, the, listen to me. Uh, but uh, today I wanted to share uh, something that's called Leadership Wisdom, The Praying Refugee, and Dandelions. And so I'd like to just share with you about, about the ministry, about Ukraine and what's happening uh, in regard to the war and the conflict and the refugees. Uh, but most of all today, I just want to share with you about our dear, sweet Messiah, Jesus, and what he is doing. God is at work in some of the most horrific places in the world. He is at work in Mariupol, a city destroyed by the army, the Russian army, the destroyed villages throughout the eastern region, the capital city of Kiev. Uh, God is at work. And so, so as I share, I'll have, I just want to give a, uh, just a, a little bit of a, you know, just a, uh, sort of a little bit of a notice. I may kind of reference the occasional joke, and it may not be funny, so I want to prepare you for that, okay? And, uh, yeah. See, I, I could be one of these people that thinks that all of his jokes are funny, but just, just talk, to my talk to my wife. It doesn't work out that way, and my kids. Uh, but... Uh, a leadership, uh, you know, uh, what is the definition of a leader? And uh, in a time of crisis, uh, we do look to leaders. And as Christian, who, Christians, who is our leader? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that he will lead us. We can be guaranteed of this. As we're walking in a very uncertain place, and an uncertain road, Jesus is leading us. And he will continue to do so. Jesus Christ is leading us. When we think of the word leader or leadership or say, what is a leader? If I was downtown Caldwell and I was at a store somewhere and I spoke to some fellows on the street and I would say, gentlemen, gentlemen, please tell me, please tell me what a leader is. And you know what one response might be? You know, they may say, hey, it's a short length of material for attaching the end of a fishing line to a lure or a hook. <laughs> Especially this time of year, uh, it's, uh, you know, people are thinking about fishing, you know? So that's one poss possibility. But we talk about, uh, talking about leaders, like what are some examples of leaders? Uh, we think of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. We think most recently right now of, uh, of President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden. They're categorized and, and identified as leaders. We think of the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, and Vladimir Putin of Russia. We think of political and religious leaders from around the world. We can think of King Saul, King David, King Solomon. We can think of teachers, and we can think of parents. 
That's where our nation is, is led, is with parents. And so a definition of a leader for the ministry, Love Cradle International, one of the things in our vision statement is this, we identify what, uh, what we think a leader, what a leader is. In the statement we say as a mission, we uh, want to equip orphan children, underprivileged children, poor children, equipping them, help them to become leaders of tomorrow. Well, what does that mean to be leaders of tomorrow? To be teachers, to be parents, to be uh, uh, politicians. Uh, my uh, definition of a leader is someone that will take the gospel to others. Someone that will go and speak about the one whom they love, their Messiah, Lord Jesus. They will talk about the cross. They will talk about the death and the resurrection. And they will talk about being free. Being free even though we may be imprisoned or in chains as Paul. I think that's a, a great a great definition, and that's a definition that I desire for my children, is that by God's grace and mercy, they will come, will come to him, have great gift of faith, and lots of love for the Lord Jesus, that they will go into the hard places in the world. And you know, folks, Maybe one of the hardest places in the world, I don't know, may be in our very own country. I think it's important to start really equipping our children to be missionaries in our own country. So, a little bit of an idea about leaders and uh, something that's very important. I think one of a prerequisite of a leader is, uh, uh, should be on the application form to, hey, you want to be a leader? Okay, let's fill this out, is wisdom. Uh, Solomon prayed for this, King Solomon. And we see in Scripture that it appears <clears throat> in the King James, uh, King James Bible 234 times. I say this, if it appears one time in the Bible, that's pretty important. But it appears 234 times. And I think that's really important. It is uh, a prerequisite, I think, to all of God's children is to have his wisdom. But today we're seeing something a little bit different. So today we have the two definitions of wisdom. We have the old trusty Webster's Dictionary uh, definition of wisdom. You know, it's the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, insight, good sense, judgment, generally accepted belief, accumulated philosophical or scientific learning, knowledge, a wise attitude, belief of course of action. I think that's okay. Uh, the teachings of ancient wise men. Okay. But what is wisdom from God's perspective? What is wisdom to us? In 1 Kings, it's shared with us, Happy are you men, and happy are, the, are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom goes on to say that he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are hooked and connected to wisdom. If our leaders are suffering from Webster's Dictionary wisdom and are lacking the wisdom of God, how can we look to them for righteousness? How can we look to them for justice? In First Chronicles, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that our leaders will fall to their knees and ask for wisdom from you. And give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. That's what wisdom is about, is to help us keep to the law of God. When keeping to the law of God, what does that mean? It means that we are walking closely with him. Wisdom and understanding comes from our Lord. Purpose to keep the law of God to keep us close to him. And one uh, definition, not definition, but in, in, uh, in Job 28. And to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Our nation in many ways and in many countries they're not resisting evil. They're fleeing to it. They're running to evil. They're not departing from it. They're going to it. So how can there be understanding? When the war broke out in Ukraine, my wife, Irina, and I were talking about it. And it says, this makes no sense. It makes no sense. Was Ukraine attacking Russia? Well, it would be like attacking your own grandmother. Because they're connected, very connected. It's like saying, we're here in Idaho, and there's Utah. And all of a sudden, Idaho decided, mm, we're going to take out Utah. Your neighbors having a war with each other. Well, maybe some... I don't know, maybe some people here don't really care for Utah, so it might be possible, I don't know. <laughs> but, but that's not really country against country. It's people within, actually, almost like a country. Remember, the former Soviet Union. And so, if you walk down the street of where we have the ministry center in Malaviska, right in the geographical center of Ukraine, and you you spoke to Babushka, or you spoke to the grandfather. You say, do you know anybody from Russia? And he says, no, anybody from Russia. I was born in Russia. Or, yes, my sister is in Russia, or my brother-in-law is from or my sons are working in Moscow. Crimea and Ukraine, the south and Odessa, was come summertime is full of people from Russia. They come to holiday along the Black Sea and the Azov. It's like Pennsylvania and New Jersey, you know, Pennsylvanians going to the Jersey Shore, and all of a sudden now, Pennsylvania got mad at New Jersey, and now they have a fight going on. So, it makes no sense. So, we talk about, in Job, fear is the understanding he talks about, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. It's sad to say, but many nations, many great leaders, so-called great leaders, don't fear God. They have no reverence for the Lord. Fear is the understanding of the awesomeness and holiness of God and the truth of Hebrews 9 where the Lord shares with us in his word, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who, have, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We see an example in scripture of an individual that maybe feared the Lord, 
had wisdom and then departed from it. And that is in uh, uh, Saul, King Saul. And Saul exchanged his fear of God for fear of people, for he feared David. And David was the definition of loyalty. You could say that Saul pretty much was out of his mind. Just think of the things that he did. He departed from the wisdom of God for his own definition of wisdom. His fear of God was behind him, but fear of man was all about him. So what happens in a case? He lost his way. He truly lost his way. When David went to Nod, and he was before the priests of Nod, they gave him some bread, they prophesied, for him, and they gave him a sword, Goliath's sword. And from my understanding, this sword was a big sword <laughs> that would truly take a mighty man or a mighty man of God to lift it because he couldn't really lift it in his own strength. So this is what David left with some showbread, a couple of pieces, and a big sword, and some pro and And the priest says, Okay, and away he went. But they recognized who he was and who he was going to be. Saul also shows up on the scene out of his mind, and he talks to Ahimelech and says, you guys are betrayers. You betrayed me. He's out of his mind. These are priests of God. And so, after his conversation with Ahimelech, what happens? And the king said to Doig, you turn and kill the priest. So, he, so Doig the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also, not the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. This is what's happening in Ukraine. It makes no sense. Saul made no sense. Logic had left the building. Wisdom didn't exist. And look at what happened. Just think in our own lives, our own families, how important it is to seek the wisdom of God, to acknowledge Him in all things, trust Him in everything, and He will direct our path. That's wisdom, and to believe it. So you pray as you're leaving for work, you're on your way, it's rush hour, you've got to get to work. You pray, Lord, if my day is in your hands, I trust you. Uh, let it be, you know, I know you'll protect me. In Ukraine, you always pray before you leave to travel. So uh, you're traveling down the interstate, you're a little bit late for work, you have a big meeting planned, all of a sudden you get a flat tire. So you fix the tire, you're going to be late. You keep going, all of a sudden you have another flat tire. All of a sudden the prayer about God, take care of my day and help me and stuff is like, God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> What's going on here? Like, this is not fair, I've got to get to work. Um, but the prayer is still in effect, and God is still in control of your life, even with flat tires. So we have a choice to make. We sit on the freeway, grumbling now that we have to change a second tire, and we have no spare, and our day is finished. We're not going to make the meetings. <laughs> and we sit there and go like, who really is in control of my life? We could grumble, we can complain, and this is a word about the Ukrainian Christians, the refugees. They're not blaming God for this, for what's happening. They believe God is still sovereign. They believe God is still in control, and they're still trusting in him. 
even though they don't have a home and they've lost most of their possessions. When the Ukrainians, uh, let's speak about the refugees, about the Christians leaving, uh, Russia pushing in, uh, families fleeing. So they go to the bus stations, they go to the train stations, and they have suitcases with some of the most important possessions with them. Okay? So just for example, today, I'm going to share something with you all. That by tomorrow noon, you will need to leave your houses, your apartments, your places of residence, and get out of Idaho. The Chinese will be upon us like a wave. They're already landed on the coast. And Boise and Napa, as you know, it will no longer exist. It will be scorched earth. Get out now. So you go home quickly, you grab whatever you have in your suitcases and just say that uh, you have to go to a train station or a bus station. You try getting on the bus with your suitcases, you try getting on the train with your suitcases, you have your kids in tow, you know. You can't take the suitcases, there's no room. So all you get on that bus in is maybe a pack on your back holding your kids and out you go. And so when the trains leave the platform and the buses leave the platforms, there's line, line lined with suitcases that have been abandoned. They got out with their life. But I would say the one thing that the Christians didn't leave behind on the platform was their Bibles and their faith. So if I said to you, that's it. You, so all the possessions you have, all the things that you have, that's it. You can't take it with you. Would it be upsetting to you? I would say, you know, having to give up my favorite fishing rod might be a problem for me, you know. <laughs> but uh, we need to think about our brothers and sisters that left their homes, their homes really don't exist anymore, many have been leveled, and they left with their faith and their Bibles. I want to share and it's interesting about when Saul killed all those people in Nod and David found out about it and what did David say? I hate Saul. He's a terrible person. He's out of his mind. No, what did David say? He said, it's my fault. It's my fault that this happened. That's a sign of a leader taking responsibility because in his heart, in his mind, he felt responsible for what happened for those lives. I want to talk a little bit more. We spoke about the Christians fleeing the refugees, Christian and non-Christian. Uh, and I want to talk about, well, to me, he's maybe one of the most famous refugees in the New Testament. And uh, let's read a little bit about what this refugee said. And this is also about the refugee, and it's about in context to what's happening in Ukraine, uh, regard to ministry. Uh, I've found, and we see in ministry in Ukraine, um, the battlefield. If you are not experiencing some difficulty in persecution and things to that nature, like in our ministry, you start, and you start feeling a little comfortable, you start to think something's not quite right here. Because you live a life of conflict as you take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And especially when we go into orphanages, because the orphanages in Ukraine 
have been bastions. They've been strongholds of Satan. And statistics prove this. So as you walk into orphanages, you can expect all kinds of things to take place. All kinds of roadblocks, all kinds of stops. And then you just pray and God removes them, not you. And he removes people. Orphanages aren't a place of worshiping and praising Christ. They are a place that Satan uses to bring forward his schemes and ideas. That's why when the East and our friends in Kherson, when the uh, Russians came in, uh, orphanages, the government staff, and many of the orphanages abandoned the children. They fled and left the kids. But who stepped in? Christians. Christians. The government left and took the last boat out of the harbor, and the Christians stayed and cared. So many Christians are in Ukraine, pastors of state and churches, and they're the ones ministering to the orphans. They're the ones ministering to the elders. Like I think I had mentioned before, two people groups that are really affected by war and, and uh, are the elderly and the orphan. The elderly haven't really fled their homes because they'll say to you, where can I go? This is my home. I've lived here for 50 years, 60 years. If I die here, I die here. And so, uh, caring for these people, they're staying. They're staying in these war zones, and the children have no choice. So, um, one of the great refugees in the Old Testament wrote this, but before I read what he shares, I'd like to read... About the, about the Christians from Revelation 2. And the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is what the Ukrainian Christians understand. Their life is about the crown of life. They're not complaining and blaming Russia. They're not blaming God because they see past this and they see the crown of life. One of the number one things, the number one thing, and if you read from the, the persecuted saints in a time of communism, they uh, would imprison Christians and torture Christians. And, and uh, my dear wife Irina was a member of the underground church, the persecuted church. They had to flee from the area of Soviet Union near the Ural Mountains. They fled to the backwaters, you could say, of Ukraine. Why? Because of persecution. Okay? And so, uh, uh, these people, these Christians know and they expect a difficulty. They don't go looking for it, but they don't blame God. They don't blame God. It's not God's fault. We live in an evil world. 
and we keep our eyes and our vision towards the crown of life, the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we get a second flat on the interstate. (laughs) And so, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ One of the great refugees of the New Testament wrote this in Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Christians in Ukraine understand this. They're not blaming Putin and Russia or NATO. They're putting the blame exactly where it belongs. Right at the feet of Satan. He is the one that attacked Ukraine. He is the one that's attacking in in our own nation here. He is the one that's attacking the Uyghurs and the Christians in China. This is what's happening. And Paul goes on to, to, to share. He says, stand therefore having girded your waist, I say, with all things Jesus Christ. With truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. This is the weapon of choice for many Christians in Ukraine, is the sword of the Spirit. Which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And this refugee says, And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I really haven't seen a lot of references in verses where Paul is complaining about his life in a sense of that he's in prison, that he's in chains, that he's been tortured, that he's been stoned and left for dead, that he's been thrown into the Colosseum, that he's been shipwrecked. I just don't see a lot of reference or any reference in the New Testament where Paul is is upset at God. How does he start Ephesians? Our problem, dear brothers and sisters, is exactly as Paul Paul wrote. It's with Satan. It's with spiritual battle that exists. This is where the fight is. Wow, I see. It's... uh, we may be here till 2 o'clock, so I'll just uh, uh, share a quick story in regard to Christians in Ukraine and the time of the Soviet Union. There was a young man, a small man. His name was Benjamin. His name was Benjamin. He's a little guy, little guy, maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. At the time in the Soviet Union, Christians, everyone had to serve in the military, okay? Had to serve. But he was from the Baptist church, the underground church, and they believe in not picking up guns and shooting other people. That's just in, that's what they believe. And so he goes, he's enlisted, he's at his basic training, and the captain says to him, what's wrong with you that you're not picking up a gun? 
And the captains already knew that he was a Christian because they're the only ones that wouldn't. And Benjamin says, uh, well, you know, like, like Benjamin would say, well, you know, I can't. You know, it's just, I'll do anything you want me to do. Dig ditches, whatever. He says, but I won't take up a gun to shoot somebody. The captain says, by your time here, by the time I'm finished with you, you will pick up a gun and you will be shooting or else we're shipping you home in a box. So the captain started to press on Benjamin and put him into service and digging ditches and hard labor work and, and basically a form of torture and was to, got to a point where he wrote a final letter to his mother. And his final letter he wrote, Mother, I don't know how much longer I can last. I think that I'm just about ready to go home. I cannot take this anymore. I am losing my strength. And as you lose strength and you can't do what you're supposed to, then the, the beatings start to come and, and eventually uh, the crown of life. And he says, Mom, I think I'll be coming home soon. And so he was prepared. One day a general pulls into the compound and he gets out and he, they assemble all the soldiers and the general says, who here knows anything about music? Let's take one step forward. So Benjamin knew about music, he took a step forward. The general says, who here can play a brass instrument? Benjamin says, well, I play a brass instrument. The general says here, who can play multiple brass instruments? A few more step forward. Remember this, in the Soviet Union, each general had his own band that would be part of his procession. The general says, who here has led a band, a brass band? And Benjamin, with the underground church, and he's very musically inclined and gifted, and he played multiple brass instruments, and also he was a little bit of a conductor. And he's the only one that stepped forward. And the general said, I want you. Who sent that general? Do you know who that little man was, that young boy, 120, 30 pounds, soaking wet, Benjamin? my wife's brother. The crown of life. So to close, I just want to share with you, and thank you so much for, for staying with me. I want to share about the dandelion. In Ukraine, it's a special word, it's called kilbaba, and the dandelion, we know it as being a tremendous, wonderful seed-bearing plant. <laughs> the dandelion seeds, you know, they can travel at least 60 miles or more. So when the neighbor two blocks over says, it's your fault that I have dandelions on my lawn, he could be baby right. In Ukraine, the dandelion is, is important. It can be used as a food. It can, for making medicine. Um, also very important for children because it is one of the essential elements in making bouquets for mothers. My little girl has brought so many dandelion bouquets to us and each one is wonderful. And they're beautiful. They're yellow, and they're green, and they're just the one most wonderful thing. And uh, 
They're important. But to somebody wakes up in the morning after fertilizing their lawn and they see dandelions, they're not happy. They're uniquely designed and created by God. So I want to share, as I close, this one little story from a dear friend of ours, of, of Rick's and Ella's and mine. His name is Genya. He's part of the Overseas uh, Outreach Coalition, which we are a part of. And he wrote this little note to me. And this is what's happening in Ukraine. And this is what we are a part of in ministry. And this is, what you, this is about your prayers. And this is what he wrote. He says, Dear Stepan, I really cannot share much because now Zhenya is a refugee. He left Kharkiv where all the fighting was. He came through and stayed at the, at the ministry center where we have the ministry center. And now he's in western Ukraine. His wife and children are in Austria because he's under 60 years old. He can't leave the country. And he's caring for his grandparents, or excuse me, caring for his parents that are very ill. And he's in the western Ukraine right now. He says, I know that churches are very much involved in ministry everywhere. As we drove from the east to the west, it was tremendous effort by churches helping people and army. Many are working, serving, under shelling. Like my friends in Kharkiv, most of the Christian pastors are involved in volunteering in ministry. Although these, these are Christians serving in the army at the same time you could see tremendous rays of faith throughout the country. Blessings, Genia. This is what's happening. Faith. These dandelions are us uniquely designed and created by God and specifically purposed, and so are we, his children. These dandelions give off seed and they blow to the nations. God has picked up incredible, strong people of faith, Christians, and he's pushed them into the European Union. And the seeds are dropping in America and in Canada. And it's really needed in Canada. These people will not give up their crown of life for political appeasement or for a special program. They're not going to do it. They will go to prison for their faith. And so God, in this horrible, horrific war... Uh, I'd like to queue up the slides now to just finish with, with them. This horrific war, God is picking up Christians and he's spreading them throughout the European Union as his blessing and mercy to the nations. And they're coming right here into, into the neighborhoods here and throughout the U.S. and other countries as well. What is going to grow from those seeds? What will happen? It's God's blessing. What was meant for evil has did a hard right, and God is taking the gospel to the nations. So just to close, this is a rocket that was fired in Kharkiv, our friends, part of the Overseas Outreach Coalition. This is their home, and just as you see those windows, their children were there, and they had just quickly ran off to the store to try to get some goods when they came back. Here is a great big Russian rocket slammed in to the ground right next to them. Next slide, please. Yep. You can see how it melted the snow. They even made a little river. It was so hot. Next slide. And here are the, I think they call them zappers that pulled this. Look, look at the length of this rocket, full of explosives. This rocket fell right next underground, a huge gas main. It would have wiped out those houses all around there. It didn't explode. Our friends came back from the store, 
They didn't shake their fist at the Russians. They didn't shake their fist at God. They said, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you spared us. And these are the kind of rockets, spiritual rockets, that are fired right at you every day. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, they will be fired at you. It's coming. Incoming. Next slide, please. The elderly. Kharkiv. That's... that's All these people have is each other. And that's been taken away. Next page, uh, next slide. This is in the uh, little city of Malaviska where we are. And this, this is the, I entitled this slide, is that the men are starting to return home from the war. This is what's happening in villages and towns all throughout Ukraine. Next slide. A friend of mine traveling, doing humanitarian supply, we work very closely with him, a pastor from a church just right down from us, was into the, into the war zone. And this is his picture that he shared with me. He says, Sistapan, this is what, what we see. They're taking humanitarian supplies into the villages and into the war zones. And that's everywhere in Ukraine. That's Ukraine. Next slide. This is a good friend of ours in Malaviska, and they're preparing for the soldiers, for the refugees. I don't, want even, I don't even have to say too much about this picture. The lady in the middle, Ina Borisovna, a good friend of ours, just look at the faces and the eyes of these women. That's life in Ukraine. Next slide. That's my friend Yanis. This is what we're a part of, the Ministry Love Cradle, and with humanitarian supplies. Overseas outreach is part of all of this, too, part of the coalition. This is our good friend, Yanis Pastor. Next slide. And these are the mules that take the supplies into the war zone. There's hardly any room. Look, that, that, you know, when I see this picture, I, I, two things come to mind. There's no room for the driver, really. But this is what our car looked like coming from Pennsylvania. But they're going, and they're risking their lives. He was traveling uh, just a little while back, and they were traveling outside of uh, the city of uh, Kropovnitsky, he's very close to us. They were heading off, and rocket came right in front of them and landed in the field next to them. That's what it means taking a Sunday drive. You'll have maybe a, a Russian rocket shot at you. Next, next slide. Dear friend of ours, uh, Sergei, dear brother in the Lord, we've done lots of ministry together, lots of outreach together. He wrote a letter to me. He says, Stepan, he says, I'm just about finished, more training, and I will be going back to the front. And so when I see this picture, I don't know if I'll ever see my friend again. Wonderful Christian man. Loves the Lord deeply. That's Ukraine. Next picture. You notice, look, who the soldiers are. Young women. Young women in Ukraine are fighting. And not only fighting, but they're actually leading units. Next picture. Churches. Many churches that we work with, our church in Malaviska, other churches all around the central area, are being converted into refugee ministry outreach centers. While I was in Ukraine, I was pastor at, the, at our little Baptist church, and we're activating and working with our brothers and sisters pastors to help minister to refugees. Next picture. This is their home now. That's their home. That's where they live now, people. Next picture. That's right. Babies sleeping on floors, but they're warm and they're cared for. They have their mom and they have food and, uh, and they can be warm and sleep at night, but they don't have much else. But really, what, what, are, what do babies really want? They want their mom and they want food. And 
I think maybe it's like Christians. We want our Lord and we want food, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, next picture. This is us working on the, 40, the 40H. This is off to Ukraine. And I don't think you could put a piece of paper between the wall and the, and the ceiling and anywhere. It's packed super tight. There's a tremendous amount of really high-need humanitarian supplies that are over. I'm working on now, we're working on a second container. And my goal in the second container is 50% of the container will be medical supplies because of what's happening uh, in the Eastern Front, as well as diabetic medicine and high blood pressure medicine, as well as antibiotics, things like that. So, but this is full of uh, baby formula, which we can't seem to get in our own country now, food, uh, medical supplies, clothing, uh, um, linens, really high need, need things. Next picture. So just for clarity, the good looking guy on your left is me. And, uh, and there are the boys, and that's our friends, different people that are uh, uh, working together as, uh, as a team to get this out. Next picture. We wrote on the uh, door of the container, Boji uh, Padorunke, and that means God's gifts. That's from the Lord. Next picture. And that's it. God's gifts. And so to close with that, my dear brothers and sisters, do you want to know something? You are God's gift. All of you are God's gift. Your prayers, your thoughts to the fellowship to each other and to Christians that are suffering, you are God's gift. And so, as I close for the fourth time already, and as the clock keeps ticking, uh, I pray for the peacekeepers to come, for they are the children of God, and they will have wisdom. I pray for wisdom to come to what's taking place. I pray for leaders in our nation to fall on their knees and accept the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Desperately needed. I encourage anyone that's, I don't think I'm a real political person, but I'd say if there's a school board opening somewhere in your area, please run for it, <laughs> you know? And so, I will close with this. And this is from Numbers. And when I'm closing a service in Ukraine, as we opened in Ukraine, it's very traditional to have hymns, to have children singing at the beginning of service. And also to close is with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And in Ukraine, the word peace is mir. And the word mir is a peace deep in the soul of the believer. Peace to the depth of your soul in Christ Jesus. Thank you for, uh, I see the alarm is going off. It's perfect timing. And so... Uh, if anyone would like to talk to us afterwards, or if you are already just worn out listening to me, I understand, but we just, just thank you for the honor and privilege of being with you. Thank you, Pastor Tony, and uh, oh, have you ever had someone uh, present a sermon and said, whoops, I forgot something here? No, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. What a wonderful service. And, you know, it's, it's good to be challenged outside of our thoughts and outside of our comfort zone. When you hear what's happening in Ukraine 
from a brother and a sister who know exactly what's taking place. And I, I observed four things that he talked about that God is changing uh, in the hearts of Ukrainian Christians. And, and they're seeing this as an opportunity is just extraordinary. Did you hear that God has changed their plans? Like all the plans that they had for the future, they're gone. God has changed their priorities, right? What's important to them is totally different now than it was even six months ago. And it is completely different than what we think is important, right? Like, I got to get the golden crowd within the next seven minutes, or my friends are going to not see me, you know? We think things are, are important that they're just really not important. God has also changed their perspective. And we've been studying James 1. This is like the third sermon in our James 1 series, even though he never was in James 1. God has changed their perspective to see this all as a gift, not as a curse. It's a gift that God has given them. And then did you notice God has also changed their prayers? The way that they're praying is different than it was before. And, you know, God's giving them this opportunity now. Someday, we're going to have these opportunities. And it's really all about how we view it. And, and so I, I hope that you'll take a few minutes to get to know uh, this dear couple, servants of God, and they'll be out uh, in the lobby after we close in prayer. Let me give you four quick reminders. And I remember the number four because there's four things that I'm supposed to say. Now I just got to remember what they are. Okay. So, okay, number one, our Wednesday night Bible study that meets in here this week is on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, number two, pray for Brent and Sylvia Stonebreaker. They both are down with covid and they're in their 80s, so be praying for them. Um, number three, I just can't remember what they all are. I know there's four things. Oh, number three, we need a group of guys right after we dismiss to help us. We need to take down all the instruments and all the furniture off the stage because there's a school musical in here this week. And for the life of me, I can't remember what number four is. Does anybody know something important that I'm not saying right now? Okay, well, I guess we'll have to discern that it wasn't meant to be said. I have no idea what it is. Um, I'm sure it's really important. James, do you know what it is? Right, that too. Okay, so, well, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed in a closing word of prayer. And make sure that you... Uh, Tell Stephen and Arena how thankful you are that they got to come and get to know them and their family. And it's been really neat. The kids have been, uh, the last few days, able to go to school here. And uh, it's been fun for the kids to, to get to do that. And our daughter, Sophie, has just been so excited. And she came home and told me, there's a boy here from Ukraine and he came to our school today, and I said, I stayed at his house before. She said, you did not. I said, yeah, I did. I stayed at his house. And uh, so she went and told him the next day, he had no idea. You know, I'm a nobody. He had no idea. No, that was several years ago. He was really little. Yeah, but we had so much fun being with them and getting to know them. And yeah, God bless all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that we could hear this timely message today about the needs in Ukraine and other parts of the world. And I pray that you would change our hearts uh, to make what is important to you important to us. And that you would make us willing servants and willing participants in your will, both here and all around the world. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the fourth